Today is Friday, September 10th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 425, featuring longtime NBA scribe Ian Thompson, is powered by BetOnline.ag and Legends Apparel. Go to BetOnline.ag today and use the promo code NFL100 for a 100% sign-up bonus, and go to Legends.com. Use the promo code BEAT20, that's BEAT20, to get 20% off your whole order. What's up, everyone? Here we go. Another nice new edition of Celtics Beat. We've got a lot to cover, and Valenti is back with us, which is nice. He he just couldn't stand the thought of working with Chris Forsberg last week, so he bowed out. He said, nope. Not today. I'm not doing it. I'm out. <laughs> I'm just checking Twitter right now to make sure we're not going to miss any breaking news at this point because uh, this just happens to be a thing all the time. And we uh, have a show either during the recording or after the recording. Some sort of breaking news happens. Luckily, last week we caught it in time. So far, Adam, we're good. We're good. All right. Well, monitor that. I'm sure something will come out of the uh, you know Hall of Fame press availability as we're chatting at Mohegan Sun. Paul Pierce will say something incredibly controversial, and we'll react to that in the final 10 minutes of our show. Ian Thompson is back with us, good friend of the program. Ian, how are you? How's the summer been? Oh, it's been great. You know, I've been indoors all the time. It's been raining. <laughs> like all of us, right? It's just been terrific, yeah. But actually, it's been really good. Three of us, really good tans coming at you if you're watching on video. Which <laughs> Crushing is- it. Adam, yeah. I think you might have the best tan currently, and you're like, you know. It's, it's the lighting. It's, <laughs> it's, it's entirely the lighting. I have have that tan filter. You guys didn't know you could, the the pandemic has, has done wonders for, uh, for, you know, creating content at home. You can go out, you can get the the spray tan filter and put it on your camera. You can, uh, I'm albino looking right now. You wouldn't know it though. I'm a ghost. So it's all right. I've accepted it. It's fine. It's good. (laughs) We've got a lot going on. Uh, Of course, the, the biggest news involving the Celtics in recent days, it's huge. Luke Cornett. Luke Cornett on whatever the exhibit 10 contract he's, he's coming back. It looks like he's cut. Co- uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Luke Cornett. Quite frankly, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Juan Hernan Gomez either. Uh, although of course that was the trade that we discussed a little bit last week with Chris Forsberg after it did break Ian, the big thing. And, and it's, it's part of the reason that, that we wanted to have you on this show in particular is uh, you know, you, being so well-versed in in the league, in the history of the league, the Celtics organization, and covering the team uh, and, and league as a whole uh, so so intently, NBA.com, Sports Illustrated, among other outlets, during Paul Pierce's reign in, uh, you know, in Boston, in New England, before, you know, landing with Brooklyn and, and Washington, the Clippers, and bouncing around a little bit there at the end. It's Hall of Fame induction weekend coming up here on Saturday as uh, we chat right now. And, and this is really... Uh, you know, it's not entirely obviously, but it, it, it's a real Celtics feel to this class. The headliner, the biggest name is obviously Paul Pierce. He'll be presented by his old teammate, good buddy, and a very recent Hall of Famer as well. And Kevin Garnett only, you know, technically in the 2020 class, but only inducted in, in recent months, you know, these two classes coming back to back here. And, uh, you know, also as part of the class, not Celtics related, but you got Chris Weber and, and you have Ben Wallace and, and you have uh, uh, who else? Chris Bosch. You know, it's there are some big names in this class, another star studded class, not quite to the level of, of 
of Garnett and and Tim Duncan and, and Kobe Bryant, obviously. But there are some big names in this class. But from a Celtics field, there's Pierce. There's Bill Russell now going in as a coach. There's Mike Gorman, obviously, uh, you know, long overdue. Uh, quite frankly, the the late great Tommy Heinsohn, uh should have been in there a long time ago as a commentator. That still has not happened. So there's a lot that we can jump into here. And you really are uh, a perfect guy, guy to help us do it. So uh, I'm eager. How how much do you just like this this time of the year in general, and and getting to you know kind of go back through the the annals of NBA history and and watch the speeches and and go back and look at old clips on YouTube and and just take the trips down memory lane. Yeah, I, I think it's a really important time for the NBA because it's it's the most current of our leagues, right? I mean, baseball they're always thinking about the past and. They may go back a hundred years to compare one player to another. Um, same in football, not to the same extent as baseball, but people go back and they talk about the old football players. But in basketball, I don't know, before bird and magic, it's sort of like people act like it never happened, you know, or if, if the, the video, the film is in black and white, well, that's got nothing to do with what's going on. I mean, even Julius Irving seems left out of today's conversation. That's, that's how, that's how current and in the moment the NBA is. And so this is a great time for perspective and to realize there is a bigger picture to it. And yeah, the league has changed, but all the leagues change, all the sports change, you know, the NFL football is a lot different now than it used to be. Baseball is a lot different now. Basketball is too. Um, and so I, I, I do, I think it's, it's a great time of year and, it's especially good for a franchise like the Celtics who built so much of their success in the old era. And for me, it's a really big mistake to not give credit to that era because basically it laid the foundation for everything we're seeing now. I mean, Bill Russell's going in as a coach, but what he really did was lay down the foundation for what a great player should be. You know, it could have gone one way or the other. It could have been a great player has to be individually dominant as Will Chamberlain was, but no, we think now a great player has to be a guy that plays both ends of the court and leads his team by example and wins championships. That's what a great player has to be. Michael Jordan saw it that way. He was the greatest individual of all time, but he saw that he had to be more like Bill Russell than Will Chamberlain. So I, I think for for the Celtics, for a guy like Paul Pierce, was forced to take on that point of view and Kevin Garnett really saved his career and turned it around and made it possible that he is an authentic Hall of Famer. Um, if he had not played with Kevin Garnett, I think he'd still be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think we'd be talking about Paul the same way. Well, he'd be a Hall of Famer, I guess, in the same way that like Carmelo Anthony will be a Hall of Famer, right? Yes. You know, that he's like, he'll be there, that he'll have a lot of volume numbers, but didn't ultimately have that thing, that title, that ring that puts him over the top. And And obviously, Paul Pierce will forever be associated as he should be with with banner 17 and and winning in 08 and being finals mvp and all of it but you're right you know it's 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 easy to forget as much as it's been written about lately and chris mannix had a, a great chat with paul pierce an interview for uh you know your former uh, home there si during the week talking about uh pierce saying that you know he wanted out he wanted to go to dallas he wanted you know they won this this three-headed monster with uh, Dirk and, and Jason Kidd, Mark Cuban added, uh, I don't know if you know anything about this. I certainly did it. And and I don't think this has really been discussed nearly enough, actually. Uh, Cuban had had said that they 
he he tweeted out there was a really interesting wrinkle to this that they had talked trade it was a three-team deal Boston Dallas and another team that that evidently is the one that killed it where Paul Pierce would have been dealt to Dallas after they won in 08 which uh you know kind of floors me I mean before you know years prior when when Pierce publicly wanted out and was upset and obviously Danny Ainge went and, and got Ray and got KG and, and turned things around and, and created the new big three era you know be- before all that happened that makes sense but but this perspective deal that that Cuban tweeted about happening post 08 sort of blew my mind. Yeah, you know what was interesting? It just came out just a little while ago. Um, Mark Stein, who who writes a terrific column that's now on Substack, actually, and I I suggest everybody subscribe to it. Uh, he lives in Dallas and is very well connected there, and. His impression is that those talks actually happened in 2006 now, that people around the Mavericks believe it it goes back to 2006. And at that time, there was a lot of trade talk about around Paul Pierce. You know, he was going to be traded for the rights to Chris Paul or uh, the Blazers were interested in trading for him. And, you know, Danny was, was started, was a young GM and, and wasn't afraid to trade anybody. And, um, it's a good thing for Danny Paul Pierce, but there was a lot of talk. There was a lot of, uh, of fluidity to the Celtics back then. No one could have seen it coming. Um, I, re- I remember talking with Paul about a year and a half before the Garnett trade, uh, just over at the practice facility, the old one. And um, he was, he was being optimistic actually. And it, it bit surprised me a bit. And he said, you know, just one player could, change everything for us here and I'm like who who could do that he said like Kevin Garnett and and I said how are you going to get Kevin Garnett (laughs) he goes I don't know but what if we could trade for Kevin Garnett and I was making the mistake of undervaluing all the young players the Celtics had at that time I didn't think they could scrounge together enough uh, to get Garnett much less Garnett and Ray Allen and I undervalued them I I actually remember having an argument with Steve Bullpett at the time a while after that and Steve very much thought they had enough young talent to make big trades and I I just didn't see it so I I give Steve you you might have also undervalued Kevin McHale being in charge in Minnesota (laughs) yeah and also also the Timberwolves um saying that they wanted to trade him Kevin would not have been traded unless the Timberwolves had said they wanted to he he had to be talked into it yeah. Um, so that that wouldn't have happened either. I don't think anybody could have seen that. That you know you would openly want to to get rid of a guy that was a league MVP and and really mirrored everything you should want in a team. You know, defense first and unselfishness and all that and fight and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so um, yeah, there was a lot of talk around Paul Pierce at that time um, and. I know that he soured on them. He told me um, the, the summer after, I, I did a big story for Sports Illustrated, a cover story that explained how they'd made the trades for Ray Allen and, and, uh, and Kevin. And that was the first time where Paul had said, look, I wanted out. And I, I went to them and asked for a trade. And, uh, and Danny and Wick and Steve brought me together and said, look, this is what we're going to try to do. Um, uh, please give us a chance to see what we can do this summer. 
And that turned out to be the best summer. The two things that happened that summer were the best thing. There were the trades, but before that, it was filling in the lottery, right? Because if they'd won the draft lottery as they thought they might, they would have ended up with uh, Kevin Durant or Greg Oden. And then, yeah, they probably would have traded Paul Pierce. They would have started over around this young talent that they just drafted, but instead they dropped a fifth. Their their draft pick had no value, and it became an asset for them to trade to try to get older players of Paul's age. So that that was actually the biggest move of all was losing in the lottery that year. I'll let Evan go in a sec here, but just uh, on the Mannix article, there were just there were so many great pieces to this. You know, things that that Paul Pierce said, whether it was obviously further dissecting the parting from ESPN and the fact that you know when he was you know canned for that Instagram video, which he deleted or or you know it expired or however exactly it works on Instagram right away, but people had recorded it, put it out on social. And then, you know, it, it lived on uh, in infamy from that point. But uh, you know, he said he, he refused to apologize uh, even when some people were concerned that it could hinder his hall of fame case. Uh, obviously he didn't want to be at ESPN anymore. He didn't, he was tired of talking about LeBron James and, and unable to be himself and didn't want to travel as much and all the different components to that, the video itself, you know, being a, a divorce guy, he, you know, obviously there was some pretty women in the video. He's, he's, you know, out and, and smoking, wasn't doing anything, as he said, not doing anything illegal, but uh, wasn't the best look, wasn't the best representation, the best image, uh, all the things that we just talked about in terms of him, wanting out of Boston, how he wound up in Boston back in the draft and, and how he fell to them and Rick Pitino uh, really not scouting him and, and almost, uh, you know, panicking and afraid to pick him. There were just, there were a lot of facets to this piece, uh, this, this expose of Pierce that I thought were really interesting. Did anything strike you in particular, uh, even having covered him up close? You know, just that he, he wasn't going to apologize for that video. And, um, I think he's he's finally to the point where he's he's you know he's never been the the perfect quote role model mm-hmm. as a player you know and the guy that uh, he's always been on the edge in a lot of different ways Paul has um, and yet when he came to the Celtics and and Doc became the coach and they butted heads he came around. And then when you thought he was a selfish player and all he cared about was scoring, uh, then Kevin Garnett came and he came around again and he, he emulated everything Kevin wanted him to do and became a very good defensive player and really one of the best shot blockers at his position in the NBA, um, Paul, uh, and would do everything for, for the team, became team first and not worrying about his stats. So, yeah, on the one hand, you know, he, he's, he just seems very comfortable with himself now. You know, he's it, whatever you're going to think of me, I don't care because I've, I've shown who I really am. And if that's not good enough for you, well, then it really doesn't matter anyway. Uh, he's got to feel like he overcame a, a guy that fell in the draft, you know, uh, a guy that didn't have the best reputation as a player, was seen as selfish. In his mind, I'm sure he's, he's proven all of that wrong. And uh, and he's won a championship, and it's the only championship they've won for decades. Yeah. Uh, and and so I, I just think I I just see that article as as affirming this is a guy that that just doesn't really care what you think of him because he's put up his record, and there it is. Yeah, I'll sure we'll get probably more into like you know the undervalued, overvalued career of Paul Pierce and where he rightfully stands. 
amongst the, you know, the NBA greats, not only of his generation, but of course, you know, people in the past. But I thought it interesting that you talk about when KG comes over and, you know, they, they, it basically changes the entire fortune of the franchise and is, you know, leaked into, you know, this particular current iteration of the Celtics. There's, you know, there's a lot of positivity and there's a lot of expectations now considering what, you know, they went through with those guys and then the transition to what it is now. I mean, Pierce technically and Kevin and, uh, they have an impact, an imprint on the Celtics team because of that Nets trade. I mean, we can't, you can't not talk about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown without thinking, obviously, about uh, the the two guys before him. And I think what Jason Terry was in that deal too. It's Jet, yeah. yeah. So there's, the, you know, you can also think new head coach, Tatum. right? And he a coach somewhere. Yeah, it's, I'm, hey, I'm pumped for Jet, man. That guy was yeah. awesome. I love watching him. The wings coming out. I love that yeah. guy. That was great. Um, <laughs> but what the one thing I like, and I think this particular current Celtics team might, you know, you get over last season, which was an absolute, you know, dumpster fire in terms of what they expected it to be versus what actually ended up happening. And you considering all the injuries covered all that stuff, they could maybe take a picture out of Paul's, you know, uh, a chapter out of Paul's book, so to speak. And you mentioned it, Ian, about how when KG came over, Paul was very willing to say, you know what? This might be the guy that needs to be our vocal leader, not me. And maybe I need to be the guy who's been here the longest that buys in first so the rest of the team buys in. You know, we all talk about chemistry. We had Chris on last week. Um, and we got a little flack for, you know, can Dennis Schroeder hurt the Celtics chemistry because he's going to be gunning a little bit for his own stats and trying to get himself a new contract. You know, could that hurt with this team's chemistry? You know, that's a huge issue for this team this year. And then, you know, if they decide to add a Bradley Beal or a Dame Lillard or a Zach Levine or – X player later, it's still going to be an issue. So you look at Paul Pierce and say, yeah, you might have been a little selfish early on, but when it came down to it, the most important thing uh, in his career, accepting Kevin Garnett, letting him kind of be the vocal leader in the in the locker room, so to speak, and following his example, Paul did that without any questions. And I think Paul could be a great example. And I, I think, he, you know, he's been a uh, – a mentor in some regard, I'm not sure exactly the the amount or what level to the new guys, to Jason and Jalen. I mean, there's that great picture of Paul Pierce, you know, high five and Jason Tatum after Tatum makes a huge shot. I love that photo. It's just like the old guard, the new guard coming together for a real quick snapshot. I do believe this Boston team can look at the, the career of Paul Pierce and what he has been able to accomplish over his career and say, yeah, he was a hell of a scorer. Uh, he was an all-star for so many years early in his career, but it was the unselfishness of him later on that really made him an NBA champion. I think this particular group could use that as an example to maybe fuel them and use that to maybe, um, you know, set an example for what they need to do with the next step of their career as they get older into their primes. Yeah, there were, I mean, there were all sorts of little important things going on in that dynamic among those three guys. And especially with Kevin and Paul, and I mentioned that, that story I did on how they put together the trade and it was on the uh, cover of SI for the preview issue for that season, which turned out to be their championship year. And it's a picture of their big three and Garnett's in the middle and he's the bigger figure. He's walking towards the camera and he's ahead of the other two. And so the, the picture tells you that he's the main guy. But if you look at Kevin Garnett in the picture, his thumb down by his hip is pointing to the side. It's pointing at Paul Pierce. And what he's telling you, the, the viewer, he's saying, this is really the guy. He's pointing to Paul. This is really the Celtic. 
This is going to be our leading scorer. And so in all sorts of ways, you saw all that year, Kevin Garnett making clear to everybody that Paul Pierce, that he was saying, in my mind, Paul Pierce is the guy. Paul's been here forever. He's our original Celtic. Uh, He's going to lead us in scoring. So he showed this respect to Paul all the time. And um, it it really made a difference. Um, I just think about the blending of cultures there that happened and how it applies to what the Celtics are hoping to achieve this year. And it's sort of why I'm really optimistic about the Celtics team. I think they're going to win more games than maybe Vegas thinks because you see it in sports all the time when you've got uh, two cultures meeting and both of them want to win, but neither one knows how. Um, So you've got, you've got, you know, Jason and Jalen and those guys, and it was dysfunctional last year and you could see the frustration in them, but they didn't know how to fix it. Well, now you have this new coach come in who's, who comes from the Spurs system, who speaks directly to players. Uh, when Udoka was a player himself, he was a very tough-minded role player. He didn't mind getting into fights. He would confront people. He'd get in their face. Uh, he's going to bring a little bit of that to a team that really, really wants that. Uh, it's going to be a stark contrast between him and, and Brad Stevens. And they, I think they're just going to want to hear everything this guy's saying a little bit like Paul wanted to hear everything Kevin Garnett was saying. So they're, they're going to want to hear everything this new coach says to them about playing defense and how defense creates offense and moving the ball. And Jason, we spent the whole summer together at the Olympics bonding and we talked about everything I want you to do. And now let's pick up on that. Let's, let's lead by example, play both ends of the floor, be a facilitator. You're such a good passer. Let's see more of that. Uh, uh, make sure that Jalen feels like he's a key star right there with you. All these kinds of things. I just think everybody's going to be really receptive to these kinds of statements. You see it all the time in every sport. I I, I just think if they're going to have a breakthrough year, this is going to be it. Take a quick break here. I want to tell you it's that time again. Of course, all eyes turning to football, college football, NFL. Certainly the NFL season is underway. We, uh, as we chat right now, if anyone got to watch week one, just another Tom Brady two-minute drill, another comeback there for the Buccaneers against the Dallas Cowboys in Tampa. And as always, Bet Online is your top spot for all the pro and college football action this season. You can get all the updated odds, props, contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. A lot of people almost got burned by taking Tampa Bay. They were, what, nine-point favorites going into that one? Looking at some of the Patriots' odds, you got the Pats, three-point favorites against the Dolphins Sunday in their season opener and a matchup of a couple of young former Alabama quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Tua Tungo-Vailoa. 43-and-a-half is the over-under for that one. Uh, I would say Pats will cover, and uh, as far as the over-under, I'm going to go over, but barely. I don't think it's going to be as low scoring despite these two talented defenses. Some people think it'll be Bill Belichick. Interestingly, after the offseason spending spree, plus 700 to win coach of the year. He is the favorite in the NFL in on uh, BOL to win that award. Mac Jones, of course, plus 400 for offensive rookie of the year. That is tied for the top spot with Trevor Lawrence. And to me, it's uh, very clear that Mac has a better chance than Lawrence, just based on what he's got around him and the system that he's in. But 
don't count out Justin Fields. He's an interesting guy to think about there once he's starting in Chicago as well. Head on to uh, the website, BOL, and uh, make sure you check out betonline.ag. Use your mobile device, sign up today, receive a 100% welcome bonus using promo code NFL100. Ian, you must be excited for football, right? Actually, I think Mac Jones is really has a lot up against him. I mean, when you think about Tom Brady coming in, no one expected him to do anything. He was able to sit his his entire first year in the NFL. He played four full years of college. I mean, he was a player all four years at Michigan. Mac Jones only had one year of college. He's coming in having to start as a rookie, and everybody's comparing him to the greatest quarterback of all time right off the bat. I'm not so optimistic for Mac Jones as I'm feeling sympathy for him. So I I think that a lot of, I mean, we could just as easily turn this whole podcast into a Mac Jones, Tom Brady conversation. I think that I I feel like the it's, it's talk radio fodder. It's talking heads, TV, whatever it's, but, but where it's not sort of being done intelligently. And maybe to some degree you're alluding to this, especially on social media is people want to make these Tom Brady, Mac Jones comparisons because they're just so desperate to do it because everyone wants Mac Jones to be the next guy, you know, obviously like there is no next Tom Brady, like period in new England or anywhere else. Tom Brady is a unicorn. He's a one of a kind. It's never, there's, it's never going to happen. We are what we're witnessing right now. You will never, ever see again, not even Patrick Mahomes. It's not going to happen. But if you want to compare Brady and Mac Jones just stylistically in terms of the way they fit into the Pat system and, you know, not turning the ball over and completion percentage and accuracy and, uh, you know, mental aptitude or football IQ, not, not that Mac Jones is anywhere close to Tom Brady right now. I'm not saying that. But again, stylistically over even ability or, or long-term outlook, I'm okay with that comparison. That makes sense to me. No, I mean, it, it does make sense in that, in that sense. But if you think about expectations, yeah, I mean, Brady is a sixth round pick and right. no one expected anything. He had no expectations. Exactly. Right. There was no pressure. Meanwhile, this guy's coming in with one year of experience as a starting quarterback in college. And everybody right away is expecting him to eventually do something along the lines of what to win championships. Sure. And I, I just I just think it's there's a glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing to this. And with Tom Brady as a young player, it was always a glass half full. And I think yeah. it's very hard for uh, uh, Mac Jones to overcome the glass half empty negative negativity to it's going to be hard for anything he does to be good enough. Maybe true. I think, too, Evan, the, the, yeah, I mean, at just any time. And I know like Jacksonville is not where the Patriots are historically or even here in the moment, but anytime that you take a a quarterback in the first round, we see a handful taken every single year, but anytime a team takes a quarterback in the first round, you suddenly have these dreams of championships and Super Bowls because that's the most important position on the field. That's the guy who's supposed to take you to that level in time. It's just, you know, here in New England versus let's say Jacksonville, the Jets, you know, Chicago, or or even to some degree, San Fran just because of Bill Belichick and the off season spending $163 million and, and guys coming back from opt-outs and all of that, we just expect it to happen sooner, which is probably Ian, to your point, the part that's really unfair to Mac Jones. Yeah. I, well, look, I like Mac. I like the, uh, the plus 400 there for offenses rookie of the year. Um, I think he's going to win a lot of games, which is going to matter a little bit. It'll be like one of these things where 
you know, you'll see Zach Wilson maybe throw for a billion yards because the Jets are going to be losing a lot of games um, versus Mac, who's going to be playing in meaningful games and, and, and probably winning a little bit more just because he's set up for future success. Um, I love Mac. I've been on the Mac train ever since. I watched a great video. I think it's Matt Waldman and Mark Schofield did a great video breakdown. It's an hour long of Mac Jones on YouTube. It's tremendous. And it talks about all the little minutia that you need to know to play the quarterback position. Um, and I'm a big believer in that. Uh, and I, I think he's in a system, as we've talked about, that are, that's, that's set up for him to succeed. As I look through some more bets here, just to plug betonline.ag one more time, mm-hmm. defensive rookie of the year. I love Patrick Sertain of Denver at plus a thousand. I love him. He is an absolute stud at a defensive back. I thought at first that JC Horn might have a better year, um, but it looks like given the defense that he's in, Sertain is in with Vic Fangio in Denver, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to either, you know, be a, a big interception guy because guys are going to throw quickly because there's a lot of pressure coming after the quarterback or he's just a lot, he's locked down corner. He's amazing. So if I had a look at some other bets on here, as we've looked throughout this thing, I, I love plus a thousand Patrick Sertain for a, a defensive rookie of the year. I think it's tremendous. Um, and then MVP, you know, you look down the list, you know, Aaron Rodgers at plus 1600 with one more FU tour is also mm-hmm. very attractive to me. So just to give them a little bit more plug on that sure. is uh, to, to try and, uh, you know, if you're looking to maybe throw some scratch down on something, those are just some longer odds things that might, that might pan out for you. I mean, look, you know, you can't go home with Pat Mahomes or, you know, uh, or Tom Brady for MVP, but I mean, Aaron Rodgers out in the uh, NFC North, which is going to be a bad division. Mm-hmm. You put up a lot of good numbers there. They're going to be winning a lot of games. Um, and if it's anything like last season, you know, he could be very easily win MVP again. So well, he's got uh, Randall Cobb back now. So everything's yeah, right. going to be fine. You know, I look, I'm excited for Sunday in week one, main slate, red zone channel, all that stuff. And obviously the Pats game, but I can, I can also pardon me here. Our, our Celtics and NBA fans out there listening, saying, uh, cool. If I wanted a football podcast, I'd be listening to something <laughs> else. So let's get back to basketball and, and Ian, uh, you know, just on, on Paul Pierce, because again, it's, it's his weekend. So uh, another buddy of ours here on this program, Ben Rohrbach for uh, Yahoo does a great job and, and wrote an article that Paul Pierce actually shared to his 4 million plus followers on Twitter. Uh, Paul Pierce, the Boston Celtics legend hall of famer was better than you think. Now uh, in fairness, I haven't read the article yet. I'm sure that that Ben backs this up statistically. But my just seeing the headline, my initial instinct was, uh, I mean, if if you're not a Celtics fan, probably. But if you're a Celtics fan, you watched him for 15 years. I think he's probably exactly as good as we as we think. But but from a from a league wide perspective, I'll defer to you because I, I know what I think of Paul. I, I know what Evan thinks of Paul. It, it was Paul Pierce better than we even remember with regard to, you know, especially here in the NBA 75th anniversary season and, and where he fits into that top 75 and, and he belongs, he's one of them where, you know, what was he better than with them? Then he gets credit for. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. The perspective thing. Um, if you're in Boston, I think everybody knows exactly how good he was and there is no underrating underrating him and everybody knows the curve of his career and and uh the ups and downs he had and and then how he ended up um basically being their point man against LeBron in those years when they were contending and it was 
you know, Kevin Garnett changed the Celtics, but they they were able to to have some success because Pierce was able to neutralize LeBron James, who was on his way to becoming the best player of his generation, maybe ever, mm-hmm. um, depending on how you are in that argument. So um, I, th- I think what you wouldn't know if you didn't live in Boston about Paul Pierce is the competitiveness um, and, and the fact that uh, he and Kevin and Ray really helped save the NBA at a time when it was being hijacked by young players coming in um, you know, what we're seeing with Ben Simmons right now, a guy that that acts as if he's entitled and hasn't shown improvement and yet wants to be treated as if he has shown it. Um, there was a lot of that going on in the NBA and, uh, you know, before the, the Celtics traded for um, Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. And you even saw it with the Celtics when they were losing 18 games in a row in the season before that trade and the young players were driving uh, Paul crazy. Um, and just guys who were coming in as teenagers, getting big money up front, thinking they had it all figured out and not really understanding what it takes to win a championship, wanting to be the man as Michael Jordan had been, just having all these false premises of what it's all about. And, and when the Celtics came together, these three guys who had each led their teams in scoring but hadn't done anything as a team, and they came together and they said, look, we're going to uh, sacrifice scoring and offensive stats in order to win. They set an entirely new model and everybody else ever since then has tried to follow what they did. They, they changed the mold of how stars are supposed to be in that era. And I know people complain a lot about LeBron and other players today, putting together their own teams, but their hearts are in the right place when they do it. They're putting together these teams saying, I don't want to put together a team where I average 35 points a game and lose. I want to put together a team where I average 25 a game and win. And for all that Kevin, all the grief Kevin Durant took for going to the Warriors, he went there to win. He didn't go there to dominate individually, which was always the crime, the big crime against basketball that was happening before Paul and Ray and Kevin. So I think if you're not from Boston, I don't think you understand just how important that was for the NBA, um, that they sort of renewed the the old Celtics vows by coming together. But here in Boston, I think everybody knows it and really takes it for granted when they look at Paul, that's who he is. I want to ask you where he fits in that top 75, but it's probably, it, it probably feels like an impossible task to even estimate that without actually sitting there and making a list. Well, we, yeah. uh, Let, let's, let's do this quick. Cause Ben, Ben, I read the article. So that, okay. all right. Well, ben look, threw, somebody prepared for the show. Ben threw in, well, we'll make this easier. Yeah. Okay. Ben threw him in the top 50. Is Paul Pierce top 50 player in the history of the NBA? Because he was, he was. I th- I'm not sure if he threw him in. Like I, I might be misquoting here, um, but he the the. I think he says that he's a top 50 player. I'm pretty sure in the or it's like around the the top 50. So that's the question: Is Paul Pierce a top 50 player in the history of basketball? I'm inclined to put him in that bottom third. Without that's just where off the top of my head, I I would see him, and there's no criticism to that. Yeah, I, I agree with the, you. Yeah, I'm just thinking about all the guys that have won more championships. 
Um, you know, they have better circumstances than he had for a lot of his career, but that's just the reality. When they were in that position, they cashed in and they, they won more championships. Um, um, you know, guys maybe who didn't come in for the first part of their career, um, looking to score, but were, were better teammates than Paul was over the first part of his career before Doc uh, uh, knocked him around and got him to see the reality of how you're supposed to win, how you're supposed to play. I mean, Paul did not have a good reputation in the first part of his career. He just didn't. He was seen as a selfish player. Um, he, would, he, he probably wouldn't agree with that assessment, but that's how he was seen. Um, you know, he, there was a, he had a bad time in the series against Indiana when he didn't seem like he was a mature leader at all. Uh, and they lost a playoff series that they should have won that one on Paul. Um, there are lots of, there are lots of great players who've had those kinds of experiences. Even LeBron's had them, Kobe's had them. So um, I, I guess maybe that's kind of unfair to point that out, but nonetheless, I, I would say it speaks a lot to Paul that he could win one championship and be on that list. Uh, I think it speaks to how great he was that, that with only one championship, he belongs in that top 75. I do want to point out the quote because I don't want to, I don't want to misquote Ben. It's a great article. Go read it. If you have the chance, um, his, the quote directly is his legacy is unlike any other player, not considered among the 50 greatest players in history. So, and he goes on to say Pierce is one of 15 players, with 25,000 points, 7,500 rebounds, and 4,500 assists. Uh, he's reached four conference finals, two finals, and won one title. The list of players who can match that resume includes only Garnett, Havlicek, James O'Neal, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Tim Duncan, Moses Malone, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Oscar Robertson. So, I mean, rarefied error. For sure, for Paul Pierce. And I guess the question would become, because, again, Ben raises this, and I, I have, this is a great question. If Paul Pierce doesn't get traded and plays a couple more years with Boston, he's probably the leading scorer in the Celtics history. By just having that, does that change his status at all? Because if, you know, playing – it's like Dirk Nowitzki playing your entire career with one team – um, and having all these team accolades because he's, you know, Mr. Dallas Mavericks may, might elevate him – in, instead of going other places. I mean, of course, that title run, I think, is like the most underappreciated title run of the past, like, 25, 30 years. It's really unbelievable what what uh, Dirk did uh, with that team to get to the NBA Finals and then beat the Heat. But I find it interesting that, you know, if you consider the fact that you know, Pierce got traded, but if he didn't, would be the all-time leading scorer in Boston Celtics history – um, that would that might put him in a slightly different category just because it would be the all you know all of the one team sort of thing. So I'm not sure if that changes your mind at all or anything. I mean, for me, for me, it it wouldn't change it. I mean, it would be an, an amazing achievement um, to do that, but it wouldn't it wouldn't change it because I already think of him as a tremendous scorer. And you know those those kind of stats um, they I don't know how much they correlate because the games were so different. Um, sure, it would mean a lot, but you already think of Paul as, as the great scorer of the modern age, and you can argue Paul or Larry, um, all of that. I, I do think it's important to point out the rebounding, the assists. Um, Paul was a tremendous passer and playmaker, um, and you really saw it over the second half of his career, the way he could set up others. Um, 
just not a selfish player. Um, it's a tale of two halves, his career. You know, he, he, he learned the hard way over the first half and he cashed in over the second half. And by the end, he goes to the Wizards. And now he's like the, the old hand who's teaching them how to win and making the big shots at the end when you remember how he ended his career with them. And it's just a total turnaround. Not to cut you off, but the NBA Twitter account put out a like the top thirty-four plays of Paul Pierce's career, Mm -hmm. and you know they, you know, just like highlight after highlight, and it's you know it's 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 basketball porn as a Celtics fan. But the number one play (laughs) NBA career was that stupid jumper to end his career as a wizard. Like, please, that's the top play of his entire career. It's not even the Celtic uniform. Yeah, that's somebody who doesn't live in Boston. Put that together, probably. Stupid. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah. I, look, wherever you rank him, uh, I think I think everybody's got agree he's one of the top seventy-five players. Um, everybody should agree that he was part of changing the negative trend into a positive one for the NBA and setting it up. So there was a, a moral equivalency that, that wasn't that was greatly threatened before he came along, um, and just a, just this example he set of that an old dog can learn new tricks that that he and Ray Allen both became defenders mm-hmm. because they were put into a different environment. It's just helped me. It's just helped me understand all sorts of players in the NBA and wonder about who they would be if they were in different places or wonder about how lucky Kawhi Leonard was that he started off with the Spurs as opposed to if he'd started with the Memphis Grizzlies or the Phoenix Suns, the bad Mm -hmm. Phoenix Suns or something like that. Well, we think about him the same, you know, it so much of this is being in the right situation, but then when you're in that situation, what do you do with it? And Mm -hmm. Paul clearly made the most of it. So I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm, I'm thinking on the fly here. Uh, so there, there may be a better comparison to make and, and by all means shout it out, but I'm just thinking back to the conversation the two of you were just having Evan asking, you know, was Paul Pierce a top 50 player? You saying you'd be more inclined to put him in the lower third uh, in part because of guys rings, you know, the number of rings that they won that, that probably belong in the top 50, a guy who was a top 50 player when the NBA at 50 happened 25 years ago, uh, you know, they, their eras crossed over, their time in the league crossed over. They've both gone on to be analysts. They've been on the jump. They've both been in the news uh, fairly recently for not so great reasons. Uh, but one big difference or a couple big differences in their careers, Paul Pierce was the man, had one ring, was probably, without looking it up, statistically superior, uh, though they had some comparable statistical seasons for sure. The other was the sidekick. Great player, had more rings. How do you compare Paul Pierce and Scottie Pippen when you're ranking the top 75? Oh, I I think I'd put Scottie Pippen above Paul um, because of the defense that Scottie played that contributed to all those championships. Um, and they they weren't going to win those championships until Scottie came along and became that, that great second player. Um, and Paul was the second player in, in Boston with Kevin Garnett. I mean, he was the leading scorer, and they could not have won without Paul. There's no doubt. And he was MVP of the finals. Um, uh, you know, something that Scottie Pippen wasn't able to do playing alongside Michael Jordan. But 
when you hear people talk about what Scotty Pittman meant to them and his playmaking and he just did everything and he, he was a very good scorer on top of it. Um, but he was a bit of a Bill Russell at his position, Scotty Pippen. And, um, and that was in an era uh, of real hard play and you had to play really hard defenses, a very physical style. And uh, they were contending year after year. This, this would be where a skeptic would point out that Scotty Pippen benched himself when he didn't get the last shot playing alongside. <laughs> yeah. And that's a very fair statement to make. Um, uh, but Paul had his moments too. This year, by the way, Tony Kukoc. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Paul had his moments too. Nothing that egregious. Never that egregious. But um, I, I would just say that the run that Scotty Pippen had doing these indispensable things, some of the hardest things to do on the basketball court, I, mm-hmm. I would put him ahead of Paul. And again, it's not a knock on Paul. I think Scotty Pippen's just one of the great players of all time. Look, Scotty's the best defensive player maybe in the history of the NBA, and Paul Pierce is maybe the best elbow jump shooter in the history of the NBA. So <laughs> we got got a little bit of that going on. I want to. I can't believe we've gone this far in this podcast, and we've talked about how unselfish Paul was, and we haven't dropped the money quote from the entire article. Very <laughs> <Yuri> well. <laughs> That was great. That was absolutely brutal. But to his credit, it was like, what was he supposed to do? Those teams. Poor Yuri, though, hit 20 years later. I know. Hit and run in the middle of the Mannix article. I couldn't believe. I mean, the quote went viral in about two seconds because somebody got a hold of it. And all of a sudden, everybody just started laughing their ass off because it was just it was I mean, it's one of those things that it's funny because it's true. It's like, yeah, what else did you want him to do in those particular teams? And that's like. Finding Paul's place in history is funny because you look at some guys like, you know, like as an example, nobody, I think in there, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but nobody's going to say, even though he won a ring, Paul Pierce is not better than Charles Barkley. Like Charles Barkley, to his credit, you know, and I love the quote of like, you know, I, I if I played in the NBA today, I would arrive in a spaceship. I'd be making so much money. Um, was two guys that didn't want to be role models, by the way. Yeah, right. It was one of the guys, you know, a, a, a complete unicorn. I mean, you talk about you know Zion, you know now. I mean, if you're a young uh, listener in this podcast and you have not watched Young Charles Barkley, I highly recommend you do so um, because a guy at six foot four, and I don't care what he's listed at, he's not he's not six six. He's much shorter than that. Um, but what he was able to do in terms of leading the league in rebounding is truly amazing, but yet doesn't have a ring. Um, and then you look at some contemporaries of Paul Pierce, like a Tracy McGrady or a Vince Carter, uh, guys that were great scorers but never got over the hump. Paul is like that, but if that guy ended up on a better team with with better players. Like you, you mentioned, you know, Kawhi, if he ends up in Memphis instead of San Antonio, is he the Kawhi Leonard we know now? Like if he doesn't hang out with Chip England and have Greg Popovich as his coach and all the unbelievable assistance they've had through there, is he the same guy? And it's all about, and this comes down to whatever sport you want to talk about. And it's, you know, we talked about with Mac Jones, we talked about it with everybody. Your situation in any league totally matters. And Paul, his early career, trying to make a name for himself, then all of a sudden the land, the, the league shifts and he's by himself. And then to his credit comes back and, and totally changes himself and becomes a a Hall of Famer, he would have been a Hall of Famer anyway, but becomes an NBA champion because of it. So I find it interesting to talk about his his selfishness and his selflessness, and then have that that quote um, 
and then compare them to other guys in that era that were also considered selfish. I mean, you know, T-Mac and, and, and Vince Carter, I mean, that should have worked. That should have worked. You had, you had two guys that were absolutely dominant wing players, young, very talented, but it just didn't, it didn't work out because egos got in the way. Paul's one of the guys that let, didn't let his ego get in the way and got out of there. So, like, you could – as you look at his contemporaries and guys that will be with him maybe in that top 75, you know, the one thing he has over some of those guys – is that ring because of the fact that he, again, as you said, and you get you can he was one of the few examples you can teach an old dog new tricks. And you look at his place among NBA legends and contemporaries. And to Adam's point and to Ben Warback's point, he probably doesn't get mentioned enough. Those other guys just because of I don't know, um, not as much flash like his ground bound yeah. style. Like he 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 wasn't like the highest jumper or the fastest guy on the floor. But, like, if you ask anybody that actually follows basketball, his footwork may be one of the best of his entire generation, to be frankly honest about it. I mean, that's that's how he killed everybody was impeccable footwork uh, from from start to finish, basically. No, when I would – when you would watch Paul drive, first of all, he didn't look – he looked like he was moving half as fast as the great athletes, right, when, when he had the ball and he'd make moves – and yet his the defenders would just be falling sideways because they were falling for his fakes. He, and he was very efficient with them. And, and then when he was on the move at the, in this era, when guys are just flying to the basket and, and like birds, like they're, they're lighter than air. He was, he was like watching a, a Mack truck jumping over a ravine kind of like there was this, he had such mass to him. He was so strong and, and not athletic in the, the modern sense, but plenty athletic to get things done because he had so much skill. He, he had such a great handle and he was able to, to trick people. And then the, the competitiveness that he had, um, um, you know, Doc Rivers would say that before and after every practice, Paul would want to play guys one-on-one you know, for money, basically, just just uh, games, competition, and just take on everybody. And th- he wanted to do that all the time. That that was kind of what he lived for. And other guys like Rondo didn't want to do it. They didn't want to put their reputation at risk as a young player. But but Paul really wanted to. Ray Allen really wanted to also. Um, you know, Kevin Garnett uh, changed the team, but he didn't want to take the big shots. And they had to talk him into shooting a lot of times. Um, that's why Paul was so important on those teams. It's sort of the opposite of the Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan thing, um, where uh, Scotty didn't get a chance to take those shots. And then when he finally thought he should have had the chance, he didn't want to play because the shot was going to Tony Kukoc. Hmm. Well, Kevin Garnett was the, the best player on the team, changed the whole culture of the team. But when it came down to winning the game, Kevin Garnett was not the one that was going to take the shot or that wanted to take the shot, but Paul and Ray um, surely did. And, so it's just a little bit of a different dynamic there. And Evan, I was I was with the Dream Team in '92 in Barcelona. I covered all the games, and uh, FIBA, the International uh, Basketball Federation, measured every player and put the true heights down. And on the roster, Ke- uh, Charles Barkley was six four and five eighths. That was the FIBA measurement. So this guy, in an era of seven foot centers and six eleven power forwards led the league in rebounding and he did it without blocking out. He did not block out as a rebounder. He would just jump straight up 
and get the rebound. He was so strong, you couldn't knock him off. And so explosive, he could go up there and get it. And the six four and five eights, he was out-rebounding all the seven four. It's wild. Uh, one more quick break here for the show. Today's show powered by the Legends brand, an athlete-owned apparel brand that's popping up seemingly everywhere these days, folks, including many pro locker rooms. And some of today's top athletes are wearing it as well. Legends is owned in part by athletes. Steve Nash, of course, the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, Matt Barnes, Baker Mayfield, NFL legend, local hero Willie McGinnis, part of this as well, even former Celtic Marcus Morris Sr., among many others. Legends makes high-performance apparel with a style and comfort that you will want to wear all day. For those of you that are watching this show uh, you know, on, on YouTube, Evan, he's, he's been living in this Legends sweatshirt since it arrived in the mail. I'm, I'm wearing an a Legends t-shirt right now. I don't know if you see the little logo right here. Ian, I, I got to ask you, I mean, this this package came in the mail and I I took this t-shirt out of uh, out of the bag. And, you know, some people want to want to wash clothes before they put it on. I put it right on, put this t-shirt right on. Have you ever worn a cloud? I mean, this, this is how comfortable this t-shirt is. I'm not even, it sounds ridiculous. I'm not exaggerating. I put it on. I just went, oh, all right. Wow. I mean, it's, it's soft. It's like, it's like wearing a silk robe, except obviously it's, you know, it's, it's not silk. doesn't have to be feels that good. And Evan, like I said, I, I can't remember the last time that I saw him on one of these zoom conferences uh, that he wasn't wearing this sweatshirt. Well, I'll just tell you this thing. I, I, I look, I sell clothes for a living. This is what I do. So this is right in my wheelhouse. Um, this hoodie I usually would not spend a lot of money on hoodies. Um, I would spend money for this hoodie. It is my favorite thing currently in my rotation of clothes that I wear. Um, I just got a puppy a couple weeks ago, and obviously you have these early morning bathroom breaks with your new puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the first thing I put on before I go out the door is this hoodie. It is super warm, super soft, super comfortable, and it, it, I can't you can't really tell right now, but it fits like a glove. Like It's really like a tailored fit to me. So I can wear it both casually, you know, I can dress it down, put on a pair of sweatpants, obviously, and, and slum around the house. Or I can, you know, throw with a pair of jeans, throw a, a blazer on over it and go out in the town. Like it is, it's got a lot of flexibility to it. So, I mean, it just feels amazing. And I live in this thing. And I got, we, we both got in the same package, Adam. I got this yeah. hoodie, a t-shirt, and the shorts. shorts. Yeah. And my, I guess my only question on the shorts, this is might, you know, make people laugh. Um, so like the shorts are awesome. They're like the perfect length, but like, I think there's like an a, a underwear built into the short, which I, and I'm not quite sure if you're supposed to like free ball it in there or if I'm supposed <laughs> to wear like underwear or not. Can we, can we use that? Oh, expression yeah. on the show? I have, what? <laughs> Is it, can we use that expression on the show? Uh, we just did. Whether yeah, we did or not, oh, well, what are you going to do now? I know. I, but I'll just say this. I have tried it both ways. Because I feel like I owe it to legends to try it both ways. And right. it's comfortable either way. So this is a, a, a athletic, like, leisure brand that is more than just leisure, if you catch my drift. it's ama- I, I had somebody in my DMs immediately after I posted some Instagram story and asked me what the deal was. And I had to give him our little promo code, which Adam's going to tell you in a minute, um, to get 20% off your deal. Because he was like, I got to have that. Is it as comfortable as they say? Is it as nice as they say? I just had to say yes. I wasn't expecting to actually fall in love with this, but I absolutely fell in love with this hoodie. You should get one today, no doubt. 
Well, Ian, it's not just Evan. I put on my legend sweatshirt when I take my three-year-old son out in the yard for his morning poop break as well. You know, just to be, you know, is that not the way it works? Visit legends.com today and see why athletes everywhere are swapping out their big box brands for legends apparel folks use code beat 20. That is B E A T two zero save 20% off your first order. Again, that is legends.com promo code beat 20 offer ends October 10th. So about a month away at this point, really uh, we, we like to goof around around here, but incredibly soft, comfortable material that uh, we, we highly encourage. But uh, in, in talking about the Celtics and the hall, this, this Celtic themed hall of fame class, I think we've done enough. If, if you, if one can ever do enough, Ian on Paul Pierce and obviously the KG tie-in let's talk uh, just a little bit before we let you go about the other two members of this class that uh, have ties to Boston. That is of course, Bill Russell and Mike Gorman. I, I guess my question for Bill Russell is, and getting up here for the second time, obviously went in as a hall of famer many, many years ago as a player, well-deserved and now going in as a coach where he was also a champion. Uh, will he be flipping anyone off this time as, as he did in, in the crowd when Tommy Heinsohn was up there on, at the podium or, or is he going to keep it a little, little, you know, more, uh, more reserved for the television audience. I'd be very disappointed if he doesn't, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you do it the first time. That's what people expect. That's what they're what coming to want. You got to give them what they want. Um, I mean, Bill Russell deserves to be in there as a coach uh, alone for what he did with the Celtics. Um, you know, it, it may be impossible for people to realize just how important that was at that time in the 1960s. Uh, for a black man to not only coach a pro team, which hadn't happened before, but then to lead that team to championships and then to do it while also playing and playing the most important role in the biggest games Um, and no assistant coaches, you know, really none of the help that you had before that that you have today. Um, It's just a, a completely different environment and to know that if he failed at it, uh, if it didn't work out, that everybody would have said it was because of race, that he was in fear, you know, all the, all the terrible things that would have been said. So imagine the pressure he was feeling or the, that a person like him would be feeling at that time, uh, becoming the, the first black man to be a head coach and knowing everything that was riding on it. And then to see it through and actually – uh, surpass all the expectations with a team that really wasn't supposed to be winning anymore. Um, uh, I just think it's a phenomenal achievement. Uh, it stands up with the greatest things that have happened in sports, you know, in the last however many years. And he definitely belongs in the hall of fame as a coach. Yeah, no question. And then, you know, when you have uh, Russell, of course, Pierce, and then I'm, I'm sure we'll get to Mike Gorman at some point. Um, you know, you got three pillars of the Boston Celtics in terms of, you know, eras. And then like, you know, you have Gorman, who's just all over the place in terms of starting, you know, in the eighties and then still going today, which is decades of doing it. Really amazing. Like I, you know, it's been fun to have Mike on this show just because it's like, for me, like a childhood dream and just interviewing him and talking with him. And, um, you know, he, he just has great perspective on a lot of things. And like yourself, like Ian, you, you know, with the way you're able to contextualize some of the things in the NBA, Mike's very similar with that. And, you know, talking about anything in Celtics history, whether it's Bill Russell, Larry Bird, Havlicek, 
up to now. I mean, Mike's just like a, just a Celtics historian at this point. It's amazing, but it's awesome that Boston's so represented at this point. And, and taking nothing away from Mike, Mike's incredible. He's, he's been on the show a number of times. He's, he's just, he's, he's amazing. And he's, it's so well-deserved obviously, but, and I, I think he would probably echo this. It, it feels unfortunate for lack of a better word, sad in some ways that, that he and Tommy Heinsohn aren't going in together, you know, as, as, as broadcasters, I know Tommy Heinsohn's already, uh, you know, in there as, as a player in there as a coach and, and should be, and I believe will be in there as a commentator. I don't know why the hell it didn't happen sooner or hasn't happened yet. Uh, I mean, the guy again, bef- before he got sick and passed was at it for three decades strong and, and, you know, commentated national games. It's not like he was limited to the Celtics. I mean, he's, you know, a, a, a fixture, a voice on television broadcasts for, uh, for, for decades. And, and it, it's always been, and, and again, Mike Gorman said this a number of times, it's, you know, for four decades, uh, practically anyway, it was, you know, Mike and Tommy, Mike and Tommy, Mike and Tommy, it feels like they should be going into the hall of fame together. And, and while impossible now up there at the podium together and joking around and just being them and doing them. And, and, you know, I'm, I, I don't know, I, as a fan, uh, I, I feel somewhat robbed of that moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree, but I, w- I would just really love to, um, I, I mean, I completely agree. Tommy Heinsohn should be in as a commentator. Um, uh, and I think he would probably be the first to be in all three yeah. spots mm-hmm. if he did. <clears throat> but Mike Gorman is just uh, – there's more to him than just this idea of all the years and all the great things he's uh, he's informed us about. It's the energy and the sparkle that he continues to bring after all these years. You know, um, it always seems a little bit new to him. Even now, he he just brings such joy and energy to his work. And when you're watching the game, you're not thinking about, wow, this guy's been here for so long. You're not thinking about all the things he's seen. If you go to other cities and you you see some of the older broadcasters, you do think that. You're thinking, oh, this guy's still doing the job because he's got a name, but he shouldn't be doing it anymore. And Mike's just the opposite. Mike, Mike earns his place every single time he works. And it's just an amazing achievement to not be bored. After all this time, and think about all the bad. Think about all the bad basketball that that's this guy's watched and endured, <laughs> and he never let it bring him down to that level. He always like rose above it. I mean, the Celtics were awful for years, and this was a guy that he was around for the Larry Bird years. He knew what the real thing was, and he was around Red Auerbach, and he grew up in Boston. He told me about sneaking into the Celtics games. They would sneak in and mm-hmm. to watch the Bill Russell teams. And and so he knew the real thing, and yet the guy's such a pro and has such energy, and and there's a, a magnetism to him. Um, I I'm just in awe of uh, Mike Gorman as a professional, um, and part of being a professional is it's okay, it's having a professional approach and taking it seriously. But you also have to have that joy to you. You have to have that energy to you and that love for what you're doing. And that just comes across all the time with him. It should not be taken for granted. It's such a rare thing, not just in broadcasting, but in everything anybody could ever do in life. And 
he, to me, he's a real model of how you should try to go about your job, no matter what you do. Well, I, I also think too, and, and, you know, great features have been written about this in, in recent years. I want to say Adam Himmelsbach of the Globe wrote one uh, a couple of years back as well. And as, it has nothing to do with this Hall of Fame case or anything like that. It just, it speaks to obviously kind of what a unique uh, individual or, or how unique the story is for Mike Gorman. You know, you think about, like he, I mean, he's up there in age. I don't know exactly how old he is off the top of my head, but he's he's not a young man at this point in time. Still very much with it, still very adept, still does an incredible job. The energy that you talked about. But you think about, you know, quote unquote, younger commentators. And when I say that, I mean like 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, you know, guys that are in the NBA or the pro, the pro level of whatever the sport. And for like, I I know as as someone who works in the industry, so many of these guys have, you know, you, you dream about being a broadcaster when you're, when you're younger, after you realize that you're not good enough to be a professional athlete. And then you, you know, you go to college and you train for it and, and, and you're, you're, you get out of school and it's minor leagues or, or working your way up or, or maybe some are lucky enough to kind of fall into it, but it's not like go off to the Navy and, you know, serve your country and all of these different things Mike Gorman did before it was, well, what do I do now? And then all of a sudden, you know, becomes a broadcaster, you know, doing college sports and, you know, working in, in Rhode Island and then, you know, Big East and, and going on to obviously do what he has done since. I just think that, you know, that that era of of broadcasting is is, you know, times have changed. It's behind us. It's different now. It doesn't work that way anymore. And I, I, I don't know. I again, it has nothing to do with this Hall of Fame case. It doesn't add to his legacy necessarily. I just find it interesting. That's true. His perspective, though, it's part yeah. of what makes him so uh, so special that he he's not just he hasn't just lived in this one world and he's obtuse and he doesn't see the rest of the world. He can't relate to other people. He he brings an outsider's point of view to it, even though he's the ultimate insider. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was at Sports Illustrated and I'd be around the Celtics all the time, and whenever I wanted some perspective, he'd be one of the guys I'd go talk to in the press room before a game. And he, you know, you could get real honest advice or real honest take from him. The guy, he's not a homer. He, he, but so fair, no cheap shots with Mike, Mm -hmm. Um, but honest assessments of people. I I think the, the greatest thing about him is that he's always viewed the people he's told you about as people. He's, they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not cartoon characters to him. They're real human beings. And over the years, he's gotten to know them as people. He's connected to them as people. Um, what made his partnership with Tommy Heinsohn so great was that you saw two guys. You, they weren't. They they were more than the announcers. You really saw a relationship between them, uh, an odd couple kind of relationship. And when when Tommy would start ripping on the referees, if Mike thought that Tommy was wrong about it, as he even was. You would hear Mike wouldn't say anything. <laughs> he would just go quiet and just let Tommy say what he was going to say, and then and then pick up. Okay, the Cavaliers inbound now. You know, <laughs> he'd move on to the next yeah. thing. And uh, but there was there, what a what a great chemistry between them. What a great friendship between them, and that came across all the time and and their relationship. No, it's true. And and I, I guess just to put a bow on this, like I, I don't know Paul Pierce personally. I certainly don't know Bill Russell personally, but you know, having had many, many conversations with Mike and considering him a friend and having him on this show and Evans talk to him as well. I just, he's just such a genuinely nice guy 
which is, you know, I, I having worked in this business as we all do for as, as long as I have, and Ian, you even longer, and Evan, you've certainly seen some things and talked to some people like it. It's, it, it's, it's, that's a f- relatively rare thing to come across. Someone who is genuinely nice versus, you know, playing nice or, you know, you have a nice conversation with them. Like to, to be a genuinely nice person in this business uh, when when it's, you know, this this industry and it's true of a lot of businesses, but this industry, you know, can it, it, it can turn you cynical. It can turn you negative. It can turn you whatever. And and he's just always been above all that and, and, and just a, a real pleasure to talk to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much pressure that people feel. And it's probably more today than ever, because of social media, and you get picked apart for every little everything you do. Um, The pressure has never seemed to affect him. I'm sure he's been criticized over the years. Mike, I'm sure mistakes have been made, and he's been held to account for them, because everybody makes them. It's impossible, Mm -hmm. especially when you're reacting on the fly on, on television all the time, as he's had to do. And yet the pressure, he's never borne the pressure. You never can tell that he's never taken himself seriously. He takes the work very seriously in a joyful way, but he, he never, never thought himself as anything special, never acted like that, which makes him all the more special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to this is the guy that you guys, everybody's been watching on TV for the past 40 years is the same he's that guy he really is that person and and i remember the first time meeting him with uh our ceo nick gelso outside td garden i was like kind of starstruck because i was a young kid and i was like oh my god that's mike gorman and he's just the most genuine person i think i've met um maybe like in the industry he's just the nicest person on, on air he's you're like wow this guy just seems like a really good dude he is that person i just every the person you see on tv is no different than he is in real life and um, it is just, uh, I, to me, when I first time I had to interview him, um, I wanted to ask him about old college basketball because everybody forgets that the send it in Jerome call from, uh, Bill Raftery yeah. is super famous at this point. The guy sitting next to him was Mike Gorman mm-hmm. on that game. And I talked to him about it and how I'm like, do you ever feel like you get lost in the shuffle on this? Because it's the, they only hit, play that one bite, but yet you're sitting there right next to him. And he goes, you know, no, because Bill, you know, that it was so authentic Bill at that point. And it, it, the fact that he could just recall everything that he's ever seen basically in a, in a basketball game. It's like, you know, the, the, the recall of LeBron or the recall of Bill Russell who can like go back and just be like, yeah, uh, game seven, five minutes to go this – Mike can do that too. He's just a special human being. And again, as Celtics fans, uh, we're very fortunate to have both Sean Grandy as the radio play-by-play guy. We're very fortunate to have Cedric Maxwell as his uh, partner in crime on the radio side. Those guys are unbelievably talented. And then Mike Gorman for 40 years is just unbelievable. He is the, he is amazing. And if you ever get the opportunity to meet Mike, you'll, you'll notice right away. He's just as genuine as he seems. Yes. Well, once again, this show is, uh, and I echo all of that. Once again, this show is powered by uh, betonline.ag, also Legends Apparel. We gave you the promo codes, but one more time, betonline.ag, promo code NFL100 for a 100% sign-up bonus. And legends.com, use the promo code BEAT20, that's BEAT20, for 20% off your whole order. Again, Hall of Fame weekend, 
congrats to uh, all the inductees, most especially because we're biased, Paul Pierce, Bill Russell, and Mike Gorman, and it uh, should be a lot of fun. Look forward to watching those speeches. And uh, as Evan said earlier, off the top, looking forward to, you know, somebody saying something incredibly controversial right after we record this show and, you know, having that be the narrative that carries the uh, the rest of the week while while we've missed it. Uh, I talked about Marcus all got traded. That's something that's happened. I've been keeping an eye on it. Marcus all got traded. Where to? Uh, The Grizzlies. Good. Fitting. (laughs) Why? Why? Why not? Uh, He can uh, he can be there for Tony Allen's number retirement. Uh, It'll it'll be great. Uh, again, talking about how, how great, how nice, how kind, how, uh, you know, forthcoming and giving with his time that, uh, that Mike Gorman is all of those same things are true of this man, Ian Thompson, uh, truly, uh, one of the real treats in the business and industry and, and always grateful to have you on this show, Ian. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Adam. Hey, I got one Paul Pierce story. If, if we Please go for it. Oh, fly away, buddy. I mean, it's just, uh, I, he'd always have you cracking up about things you weren't expecting. But I remember talking to J.J. Barea early in his NBA career with the Mavericks after a game they were playing in Boston. And I said to him, you know, you were a star at Northeastern for four years. What's it like for you to come back here? We were just chatting in the locker room after the game. And he said, yeah, it's great. You know, I used to try to come over to Celtics games all the time when I played at Northeastern. I love Paul Pierce. I loved watching him. And I go, uh, did you ever – did you ever meet him? He goes, well, I went up to him once I got into league to tell him how much I liked him. So, so a couple of days later at practice, I saw Paul and I go, Hey, I heard uh, JJ Berea came up to you. And he goes, who? I go, JJ <laughs> Berea. He goes, who's that? And I go, the guy from the Mavericks, the little guy he went to Northeastern. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I go, well, he said, he, he said you were his favorite player and that he used to come see you play all the time. Uh, I said, what'd you say to that? And he said, I told him I'd never heard of him before. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why would you do that? The guy was a star in Northeastern. I mean, he, here he is. He's like looking up to you. And, and Pierce goes, hey, I'm, 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 I'm Paul Pierce. I'm Boston Celtics. I, I'm not going to be worried about Northeastern. What, what do you want from me? Like, like he's like making funny about it. But you get that kind of stuff all the time from him, that kind of attitude that would catch you by surprise. He just wasn't like the typical um, role model. Yeah, not humility wasn't really a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we do pass the Yuri Welch. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ian Thompson, Evan Valenti, I'm Adam Kaufman. Thanks for joining us here on Celtics Beat. We'll catch you again after Hall of Fame weekend. And remember, basketball next month. It's a thing. It's coming, folks. Looking forward to it. More Celtics talk 